even the even the knitting machine industry is. <laughs> Are we surprised? Okay. <laughs> mm, <no>. okay. <laughs> Hello, makers. Welcome to Making Conversation, a podcast where we chat all about making the app and the act. I'm Jen, head of marketing for making. My pronouns are she, her, and my making app username is Knit Pearl. Y'all are in for a treat today. Today's guest has been active on the making app for a while. She is known for her amazing designs, but often posts about her journeys in cooking and gardening in the making app. And we're very, very lucky because a lot of times her posts also include her cat. And we love that. We love an adorable cat. Welcome to the podcast, Tina. Hi. Thanks for having me. So do you want to introduce yourself to everybody? Yeah. So hi, I'm Tina Say. Uh, My pronouns are she, her. Uh, My making username is at tina.say.nits. And I am based out of Metro Detroit, Michigan. How long have you been a maker? Tell us kind of the story of, of where everything started. Oh, man. It feels like it's been my whole life. (laughs) Um, The earliest memory I have of making is when my grandmother taught me how to knit when I was like five or six years old. And that's just fiber related. Um, I also spent a lot of my childhood making origami. So much origami. And then for as long as I can remember my parents took us to the Dragon Boat Festival out of Flushing, New York. So that's where I grew up, Queens, New York. And we would go to this booth. They had an arts and craft booth. And we would go there and my mom would help us make beaded bracelets. We would make beaded keychains. We would make like animals out of strings. So it's been, it's, I think crafting has kind of been in my, in my life for for as long as I can remember, in all kinds mm. of ways as well. I think it's just we're a really crafty family. My dad like makes all kinds of woodwork, like carpentry, like he refurbishes stuff. He built his own greenhouse behind his house. Um, okay. <laughs> so that's kind of where I get my green thumb. Like my parents are from rural parts of China, so they have a lot of that history in them uh, with growing and, and gardening and so my family's just been just all kinds of making so you learned how to knit from your grandmother is that something that's been passed down from many generations before her or do you know that story of how she learned how to knit that's a great that's a great question because I asked her the same question and I was very <laughs> lucky to have asked her before she passed away so I did ask her that question and she said that she did not It wasn't passed down to her. She apparently was around the village and a bunch of these aunties and grandmas and like moms were just hanging around, I guess, like knitting. And she was like, let me see if I can do this. And and she just like picked it up as she does because she's one of the smartest women I've ever met in my life. And uh, yeah, she just picked it up from these like people in the village who were doing it and and then she passed it down to to me um and then my sister also dabbled in it a little bit my mom crochets um, but she's dabbled in knitting as well but she she does the crocheting now she does all these paper crafts on lunar new year we get these red envelopes 
And so she turns these old red envelopes into like fishes. She just like puts them together and makes these beautiful like things to like decorate your house with. So (laughs) all the crafting in our family. I love that you asked your grandma that before she passed. I've talked about this before on the podcast, but I feel like there is a level of like making being in your blood at a certain point, finding out that my Nona was a knitter and like, like my mom forgot, had totally forgot about it. My Nona passed when I was like nine or 10. I've been knitting since my early twenties. And so it never came up. And then looking through some photos one day um, after my dad passed away, my mom was like, oh my gosh, your Nona knit us these sweaters. And it was just like, holy cow. <laughs> like, I didn't even learn how to knit from family. It was from oh. somebody else's mom. So <laughs> <laughs> it's it's amazing, like, how much it is, like, in our blood or kind of, like, in ourselves. Like, and sometimes I think of making as just fiber-related things, but making mm-hmm. is so much bigger than so that. And things. there's, like, woodworking and metalworking and beading and gardening is also that so it's like uh, so many things it's very expansive and that's uh, again why I love the fact that the making app is is multi-craftual because I think as makers a lot of us are and um you know we may focus on one thing more than than the rest but I do think that like once you step into a creative area like that it's hard to it's hard to back out without taking a few extra skills with you (laughs) oh I I totally agree I cannot stop trying new making things I don't think I'll ever stop to be honest good I mean that keeps us keeps us creative right yes so today's episode is not only going to be us getting to know you a little bit better Tina but we're also going to be getting to know a little bit about the tool that uh, she uses during her day job the knitting machine So we're going to chat about that and also cover a little bit of history. From your website, Tina works in the sporting goods industry, developing technical textiles for non-apparel applications. Okay, so tell us everything. What does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) So I did not get into knitting for working in the sporting goods industry. So it just happened to lean that way. So I actually studied fashion design. And I specialize in knitwear. Um, So kind of my journey there was I worked at a knitwear studio in New York City. And they happened to have been owned by a German uh, knitting machine manufacturer. Um, They're called Stoll. I got the greatest opportunity of my life. Pretty much my whole entire career is owed to it is I got to study in Germany for a month on this equipment. So, yeah, it it was one of the best experiences of my life and for my career as well. And so in this training, I got to learn how to operate these gigantic knitting, industrial knitting machines and also how to program for it. I get a lot of questions as to like, what does that mean? Because obviously when we think knitting or knitting, we think like two two needles and and some yarn. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. These knitting machines are almost the size of a car. Like they're, they're huge. Yeah. Um, if you think of knitting needles, like two sticks, the knitting needles inside these machines are more like a crochet hook. 
Now, <laughs> I've heard I've, I've been listening to the Making Conversations podcast, and there has been a lot of conversations about crochet machines do not exist. It is 100% true. They do not exist. <laughs> we only report the facts. Because <laughs> <Yes. laughs> I have asked. I have gone yeah. to all these trade shows about these knitting machines, and I'm like, there's lace machines for sure. But I was like, I'm looking for like specifically a crochet machine. They're like, no, it doesn't it doesn't exist. I'm like, good to know because okay, I've been asked for... that many times. <laughs> there are people on the internet that will literally die on that hill. I hope that they see this because Tina is telling the truth. And so are we. <laughs> exactly. These knitting machines, the, the specific one that I know how to program for is called a WEF knitting machine. So it only okay. goes left to right um, like you would any hand knitting. Um, mm -hmm. There are warp knitting machines. Now, warp knitting machine is a machine that has, if you think of like a loom for like a weaving loom, they have strings, I guess, that come down like a loom would and then a knitting, uh, a carriage would go across like it would be knitting. Okay, got it. And then there are circular knitting machines. I don't know. I don't know how expansive we want to go, but there's a lot of I different mean, types of knitting machines out there. Yeah. <laughs> so you use the first one? Yes. The work? weft knitting. Okay. Yes. Weft knitting cool. machine. And I program for that. It's kind of like, I hate using this term, but it's kind of like a 3D printer. In a way, in terms of how you program for it. So basically, okay. the program allows me to control every single stitch. Oh, wow. Which is when I show it to people and people I work with, too, they're like, what are you doing? <laughs> they're like, is that <laughs> is that Minecraft? Is that like Minesweeper Tetris? <laughs> it, it does look like Tetris sometimes. I um, mean, do you feel like you just have all of the power in the world when you're doing this? I feel like like I can control every stitch through <laughs> a machine. <laughs> As a very passionate knitter, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for people who are just like, um, who just do maybe like knit programming for, for their job, but don't have like a background in, in hand knitting or textiles, it's kind of just like a job to them. But for me, it's everything. Like to be able to understand hand knitting all the way up to programming these giant industrial knitting machines, it's quite, I'm quite passionate about it. It's amazing. So when you say programming, is that like, I don't know, um, I I learned a little HTML back in the day when I made my live journal. Is it like HTML or is it, uh, I don't know. I have nothing else to compare to. <laughs> I'm not an engineer. <laughs> plus, 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 or something. I don't. I, I am also not an engineer. Um, mm -hmm. Even though it does seem like because I can program these machines, I am an engineer. But in mm -hmm. in a way, I want to say knitwear is kind of like engineering. Yeah. Just putting it out there. <laughs> it's very specific, especially yeah. with like technical textiles. For what it's needed for, you have to be able to control every stitch. So it's very engineered zones. Kind of like when we hand knit color blocking or intarsia. But for technical textiles is being able to control the performance in, let's say, a sporting 
performance or a medical reason, because these machines actually are used to make medical textiles as well. It's amazing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The product that I make is is lacrosse nets. So I don't know if how familiar you are with lacrosse. I didn't know anything about lacrosse when I started this job, surprisingly. Um, I mean, I think I know enough, but now I'm like second guessing. (laughs) (laughs) It's like this net. It's like a net. It looks like like a mesh net. This got it. Too technical. but the majority of like what lacrosse players are used to are the warp knitted mesh, traditional mesh is what they call it. The reason why I was hired to do this job was to innovate the pocket a little bit, um, using different equipment, using different materials, um, using different stitch techniques to try to enhance the sport. That's so <laughs> rad. So lacrosse for people who are unaware there's like a stick and a ball and there's like, is it, it's like a little pocket yeah. cup, yes. like a cup but made of. <laughs> yes. Like a oh, butterfly net. If anyone needs that visual, it's like a There we go. Net. Yeah. There we um, go. Much better explanation. I should have just asked you because this is what you do. <laughs> it's so funny how I got into this job because again, I came from fashion. So yeah. I got my job because I, of purely how much I know about knitting and my textiles expertise. So I didn't have to know the sport, but I've I've worked there now for seven years and I've grown to understand the sport, what they're looking for in the performance aspect, um, product aspect. So so now I'm much more well-versed. Now I'm like, what is the history of lacrosse? Stop, Jen. (laughs) (laughs) It actually is a sport that came from indigenous nations. Which was unfortunately co-opted by white people. That checks out. That tracks, that checks. right? Tracks. <laughs> what haven't we stolen? Huh? <laughs> wow. Wow. Oh, can we be like original for one second? Apparently not. Okay. Uh- <laughs> so do you ever miss working in fashion? Oh, I do. All the time. Yeah. Honestly. I left in 2016. That's Mm -hmm. when I moved to Michigan for this job. And at the time, it was still very toxic. Not my workplace, but just the industry in general. And um, because I worked as a knitwear specialist, I had to work with a lot of... uh, I was consulting, basically helping them create their idea and turn it into a knitted thing. So some customers would come in with a photo of a tree and say, hey, can you, you know, interpret this into a knit design or something? Like some people were just like, oh, I need this for the runway. How fast can you do it? <laughs> I've met a lot of amazing people that I still am in contact with uh, to this day. But the industry itself was very toxic and we weren't mm-hmm. kind of in the whole sustainability, slow fashion kind of world like it is now um i think now it's it's i've seen a lot more growth which is great i do miss it because clothes was my my first love i think self-expression through clothes was kind of my the reason why i I think i went into fashion the reason why i went to making as my career in general i miss fashion week in new york so much 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you were there, weren't you? I was. I was. We we didn't do any of the shows, but um, yeah, I was there with uh, my bestie Colson, and it was an amazing experience. Oh. But yeah, I hear from other people in the industry that yes, the toxicity levels <laughs> are not as bad. However, they're still so far that a lot of these brands can go when it comes to sustainability when it comes to size inclusivity i mean that is yes we had like i think it was the vp of stella mccartney was at one of these lunches and Mm -hmm. i was just like let me tell you about size inclusivity (laughs) yes and stella mccartney is supposedly one of the good ones quote unquote yeah well they're they're like in the forefront of sustainability in the like designer fashion world right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I'm like well depending on the brand and depending on the day and depending on the time of year and all of these things because women's bodies change all the time and that is okay we love our bodies um I could be a 14 or a 16 or higher or lower you know I mean also sizing is we could we could get into Bonkers. it, but we won't. When these brands are only making, you know, one or two of a certain size, and then saying that they're size inclusive, it's like, no, you're not. You mm-hmm. are not uh, yeah. at all, actually, because then only one or two people can wear that thing. I didn't see a lot of growth for me in that industry because I didn't know how to, at the time, live my values while working to death in that world, I guess, in a way. So I do I do love fashion though. There's like the two sides of me. There's the Jen that loves slow fashion and knits and someday wants to learn how to sew her whole wardrobe. And then there's the other side of me that's like, I love buying clothes. (laughs) Not overconsumption, but you know, it's it's fun. Again, there are no ethical purchases under late stage capitalism. So it's you know It's it's a wild time to be alive. It's a wild time to be alive, for sure. Wild time. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so how does working with the knitting machine by day influence your design business with hand-knitted patterns? Because we haven't even touched on that. Like, you are a hand-knitwear designer as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's actually... It doesn't actually have a lot of overlap just because... My day job is a little bit more specific. It's very engineered. It's very performance-driven, product-driven, market-driven. And my own hand-knitting designs is really go with the flow. It's very whatever inspires me at the moment. I could be one day inspired by a color and another day inspired by a feeling, like, that's how how it goes for me and i think i'm able to still because people are think i'm overworking myself when i'm knitting at work and then also knitting when i get home and i'm like it's completely different it's it's two different worlds and it's what i love about it (laughs) it's what i love about being part of the industrial knitting machine world and how they're trying to innovate and create these smart textiles. And then I come home and hand knitting is just so comforting. It just feels like home to me while industrial knitting is more about the future. No, that makes total sense. And I I mean, I feel like it maybe does 
give you an outlet to, I don't know, there's obviously there's going to be the same like technical thought process when you're designing. And I'm not a designer, so I, I'm going to stop that sentence there because I don't know anything else. But um, just talking to designers as I have, like there is a technical side to that. But I think maybe it's like your way of being able to take the technical and add creativity to it. I think so. I think yeah. so. I think maybe like it flips. It's like at work, it's technical first, then creative after. And then for my handing is creative first and then t- technical to kind of execute it. So when did you start designing? I started designing in 2017. It was a cowl. It was the my gradient fade cowl. I did not know where it was going to go. Um, <laughs> I actually, I think like most makers is I started with an Etsy shop and mm-hmm. I was making all of these cowls that I made a pattern for and I was getting so sick of knitting the same thing. And I was like, oh, this is sucking the fun out of everything. And <laughs> so I was like posting this on on Instagram and this was in 2016 when I was posting on Instagram more about my knitting journey. I had just moved to Michigan. I had no friends, no family here and I was like, I guess it's time to go to the internet. And so I found the online knitting community that I didn't really know existed. I found people were actually interested in knitting what I was knitting even though what I was knitting didn't have a pattern. Um, so when people were asking me, I was like, oh no, and how I need to start how to learn how to make right patterns. And, uh, that was a learning curve. I call it translating because it's taking something that's in my head and writing it into instructions. Mm-hmm. And I'm not very good at instructions myself. I, I mod pretty much every pattern I ever come across, um, <laughs> Because I'm just very free spirited that way. It's I, I love it. I love freestyling. I only started with like shawls and cowls, and then I started dabbling into garments, and and now most of my patterns are garments. And I've kind of gone at a more slower pace now, um, trying to find the work life balance and trying to work on myself a little bit more, and putting out knitting patterns here and there. Working on ourselves, that's that's the most important thing. We can't show up in the way that we want to unless we give time to ourselves. Yeah. I totally agree. So I'm glad that you're doing that. I'm glad. One more question about the knitting machine. What's mm-hmm. the most interesting thing that you've made with the help of a knitting machine? Oh. So I think this will have to go back to my fashion days because... I worked on some really cool projects back in the day. There was this wasn't something that I personally programmed, but seeing what came out of the machines was uh, such joy for me. We were making this garment for a fashion show. The designer is no longer designing. Um, his name was Matthew Morano. I had handcrafted this this design of these roses on a dress so these weren't like repeat motifs they were full roses on Mm. this garment and i think i still have a panel of it somewhere in this 
studio of mine. But the background is kind of a see-through yarn. It's kind of like fishing line. It looks like fishing line. It's very see-through monofilament. The, the yarn name is called cellophane. And the roses were in this opaque, mauve, pink, peachy color. It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever worked on. And to see kind of that come out of a knitting machine, it's it's not like the most intricate or most technical thing, but it was just beautiful to see the art that can come out of these things. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. I actually also do machine knitting with the manual knitting machines. I don't know if you've seen any of those. It's called oh, like yeah. the brother machines. Those aren't programmed, although some of them can be, but I'd like to use them just to swipe back and forth. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I actually do some work for a Detroit-based brand called Fair Enough, but I've been making sweaters for them on my machine at home. So before we jump into the history of the knitting machine, let's talk about uh, what we found in the making app that was cool this week. I actually saw this a few days ago. I stopped scrolling in my tracks because I saw these embroidered earrings. and. I don't wear earrings myself, but mm -hmm. I love a good embroidered anything. <laughs> the maker is Jen Ann Handmade. Like the fact that sh they can get such intricate details in such a small surface area and all the colors, I was blown away. She's amazing. She has been, she has also been uh, one of those that has been around for a while. And I don't know, just everything that she does has this like bright color that just it just brings happiness like I just look at it and it makes me happy immediately <laughs> yes I actually wanted to give a little shout out to my friend Madeline she's an illustrator and I used to work with her back in the day when I worked at an agency here in Seattle to see her growth within her skills with illustration has been just so much fun She's super talented. So if anybody needs an illustrator out there, um, go to at Madeline on the making app. But she posted and she does a lot of like painting and just like a lot of art in general. But she just posted some like paper weavings. She like painted and then cut the strip. It feels like it would be like really meditative. I kind of want to do that too now. <laughs> do it. <laughs> oh, I love that stuff. I am working hard on finishing up the editing for the last Flock Fiber Festival meet and greet that I needed to finish editing. And um, I've gotten really good at editing videos through this process. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that. <laughs> I was so naive when I told everyone that they would come out the week after Flock. Why did I think that I could edit oh. that many videos in that amount of time and still do my like every day to day th stuff? Anyways. I'm excited. We've got some awesome interviews coming out. So you can find all of those by going into the making app, tapping discover, and you can either find them at the top in the banners and they will live forever in events, which is if you scroll down on the discover page, they will always live there. I've watched and listened to a few of those already. Right. I'd say awesome. maybe most of them by now. I had so much FOMO. I was like, I need to go to Flock next year. Let us talk about the history of the knitting machine. I had so much fun researching this because um, men, I'll just, I'll just start there. Men, 
I'm very well aware of that. Yeah. Uh, there are not a lot of programmers in the world who are women. Oh my god. I am one of a very small amount. So Wow. Even the even the knitting machine industry is <laughs> Are we surprised? Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. Well, I pulled this information from Wikipedia, Britannica.com, and historyofinformation.com, which I the name of that website is hilarious. I, I did look around. It looks legit. So and a lot of the stuff that was on there was also on other websites. So that was my gut check. So let's head all the way back to 1589 and meet a man named William Lee. So William Lee was born in uh well that was okay. We're heading back to 1589 because that's when it was invented. I should have clarified that. But William Lee was born in 1563 in Calverton, Nottinghamshire. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Mouth mouthful there. Okay. He attended Christ College, Cambridge in 1579, graduated from St. John's College in 1582. So to get to the invention of the knitting machine, we just have to fast forward a little bit to 1589, as I said before. So William invented the stock frame knitting machine for the production of stockings. It was the first stage in the mechanization of the textile industry, a process that 200 years later led to the Industrial Revolution. Okay, so the first version of his machine had a stout wooden frame. The needles were low carbon steel bearded needles. Now, as somebody who is a hand knitter and does not know a lot about machine knitting, I couldn't help but reading that and thinking of needles, knitting needles specifically, with little beards on them. <laughs> I would love to see that. <laughs> Just be so cute. Uh, but I assume that that means it's like the hook, right, that you were yes. talking about? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So bearded needles are still used then. I don't think they're made that way anymore. Oh, well, that's think fair. I mean, this was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> I think most of it is stainless steel, mm-hmm. but uh, a lot of those needles are proprietary information, so they don't disclose that information. But they definitely all are knitting needles with little beards. But yes. Yes. We're going to go with that. That's the visual that. we want. I love it. The visual that we want and need in this world. Okay. The machine could only knit straight and not in the round, and it only had eight needles. Now, I was like, it only had eight needles. How did that work? But maybe there's like a lost in translation thing here, like eight needles per inch. I don't know. Right. It feels wrong. But so all of the sites that I looked at described the fabric that it produced as coarse, but I'm guessing that that was because the the only type of yarn that he could use was like a thicker wool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Super chunky, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Super chunky. <laughs> <laughs> Lee later improved it. And at that point, it had 20 needles to the inch. And by 1598, he was able to knit stockings from silk. Oh, wow. So there you go. So this was my favorite part of the entire story. Are you ready? Oh, boy. 
It is said that William developed the knitting machine because a woman whom he was courting showed more interest in knitting than in him. Men. Men, am I right? Whoa! That is amazing. But I just like the fact that he was like, well, you, you're not paying attention to me, so I'm going to make a machine to help you knit so that you'll pay more attention to me. Oh, the audacity. Oh, <laughs> William. Yeah, so he had to work hard for the patent for his knitting machine. Queen Elizabeth I refused his first request for a patent because of the coarse fabric that we talked about earlier. She was like, no, nah, dude, this could be better. Um, I like to think that she was like trying to push him to like, you know, better himself and not settle for the first thing that he made. I don't know. Uh, but then when he improved it to the point where you could um, use the machine to knit silk, he like went back to Queen Elizabeth and said, patent, please. And she said, nope. But this time, it was because of her concern for the security of the kingdom's many hand knitters. And I was like, this would never happen now. And you know why? Capitalism. (laughs) Yeah. But she was like, "Mm -mm, we're going to protect these people who are the hand knitters. Wow. I know. I know. I was like, all right, good job, Elizabeth I. Okay, but of course, William did not stop there. And he did what any other man on a mission does when he doesn't like to listen to anyone who is not another man. Uh, And he went to another dude to get what he wanted, basically. Uh, So Henry IV supported him. And good old William began stocking manufacturing in Rouen, France. And either A, was very successful until Henry's assassination in 1610, or B, was unable to sustain his business. So I read both things in different articles, and like everywhere I looked, there was like no specific. It was like one or the other. If A is true, then I want to know what happened in that situation. Somebody was like, we don't like you, Henry, goodbye. And then what happened? Like... But what happened? Like, did the patent go away? I don't know. Right. The other thing that was weird is I also saw on several websites that William died in 1610 as well. So I was like, something is fishy here. So both William and Henry IV died in 1610. Hmm? Curious. There's some sort of thing happening there. Hmm. 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 So after William Lee's death, his brother returned to England and slowly established the knitting industry there with his brother's machine and, of course, against the opposition of the hand knitters. But he Mm. did it anyways because men. The end. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I did not know any of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the fact that he was from Nottingham kind of makes sense because one of the biggest knitwear colleges, universities is in Nottingham. Maybe he was an inspiration for people. Maybe. Or it's just a coincidence. (laughs) Yeah. Or maybe just machines were lying around and they're like, let's build a university here. (laughs) And then William's brother died and the university took over the machines and... (laughs) Very possible. Who knows? It could be. It could be. This whole story is 
filled with <laughs> things that are like, oh, really? Oh, okay. <laughs> Not surprising. Got it. Okay. And yeah, that is the history of the knitting machine up to a certain point. I- yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was very entertaining, especially because yeah. men. Men. They do what they do. And continues today. The industry is very male dominant as of most industries. What are you working on right now? Like uh, for your design work or it could be for funsies? So I'm not a monogamous maker whatsoever. I dabble in pretty much everything at the same time until something else comes along or I finish. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I am working on one knitting project, one crochet project and a pattern design right now. Anyone who anyone who's on who's watching on YouTube will see this pattern design. Oh. That was posted in the making up. Yes, it's um Yarn from Amanda from Who Made a Yarn. And it's like this nice cotton linen. So it's very, very airy. Mm-hmm. And I'm calling it the bittersweet raglan tea. I had a very, like, this is one of those things where I got inspired by, like, feelings. <laughs> well, the, the title got inspired by feelings. Because of, like, the two-tone kind of-ness of design, I was like, you know, this kind of looks like an oxymoron. And I was like, mm, oxymorons, huh? <laughs> and so then I went down a list of oxymorons and I was like, oh, bittersweet's a good one because life is about enjoying things and also grieving at the same time and multitudes of feelings can happen at once. And so I was like, bittersweet, there it is, done. <laughs> That's how like, my train of thought goes <laughs> when it comes to designing. I love it. When do you feel like that's going to be released? Oh, maybe December. Mm. It has to go through a testing period. Mm -hmm. And garments, I usually like to give at least a month and a half to two months for garment testing. Um, So sometime this winter. (laughs) Cool. That's awesome. Well, that's exciting. Yay. What are you um, working on with your other project? The personal knitting. It's this bright green... Yarn from Supernova Dye Works. Oh my gosh, I love that color. It's so happy. Yes, and I love the name of the colorway. It's called Aggressive Optimism is the colorway name. And it's like the complete opposite of me. I'm like one of, I'm a pretty pessimistic person sometimes. <gasps> so I, I love this color. Gosh. I am knitting the Regolith hoodie by Kiyomi Bergen. Nice. Um, I, I might borrow that phrase. Sometimes I feel like I, I have aggressive optimism. <laughs> sometimes I do feel that way. But now I know what to call it. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> and there's a color for it, apparently. Especially working in like tech and startup. We're a small but mighty team. And so I'm always like, we could do it. And like, we always do it, but it sometimes can take longer than any of us want. Um, and sometimes everything is very fast all at the same time. Yeah. The startup life. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm always, yeah, I'm aggressively optimistic is... <laughs> Ashley and David will be hearing that phrase in our next meeting. <laughs> <laughs> there goes Jen being aggressively optimistic again. I actually posted this on the making app as well is um, the Jabelle button up. 
-hmm. And it's in this beautiful colorway by the Wandering Flock, who I love. Geraldine is amazing. Um, It's a colorway called Sunset in Brooklyn. And Mm -hmm. it's this purple to orange variegated yarn. I love a good colorway name. I have posted all my garden things on the making app. And everyone actually cares about it on there. <laughs> uh, we actually just finished harvesting everything that we had planted. I think we planted a little too late this season, but with you know climate change, things were a little bumpy on the weather front. Yeah, um, yep. yeah, yeah. Um, so we actually planted bok choy, cucumbers, watermelon, and a raspberry bush. Uh, the cucumbers were very successful. We have so many. We had to give some give some away to some friends, which was fine. But our watermelon, so we didn't expect any fruit this season, um, because it was the first time I was like growing watermelon. Can we really do that? But we tried, and we were successful. There was one full one, only one, which was fine. <laughs> I love sharing my garden on the making app because people actually comment and I actually actually like seeing like all the greenery in my feed on my making app feed. It's it makes me makes me very happy. I feel like with climate change, you you just have to be ready for the week that everything is above a certain temperature and just hope that it stays that way. As Mm -hmm. you know, I feel like um, where we both live that. The climates are different, but it's that same, like, it's too cold, it's too cold, it's too cold. Okay, now we can do it, you know? (laughs) Yep, yep, yep. And I think that's why we planted so late is because, like, it was May, like, end of May, and it was still below freezing at at night. And we're like, we can't plant right now. And then June hits, and it's straight into 90-degree weather. And I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. You're like, this is chaotic for many reasons, weather. (laughs) Yes, very much so. I have too many peppers. Just have a party and just make pasta salad for everybody. Pasta salad party. Everything is pasta related. We've got sauce because I also planted tomatoes. We have pasta salad. We have tomatoes and mozzarella. This is great. I will invite everyone. Everyone's invited. (laughs) Well, and that is uh, gardening with Jen and Tina. (laughs) That turns into cooking because we eat what we produce. Mm, Yes. So this is what I've been working on the last couple of podcast episodes because I feel like I would have been done by now. But um, as I mentioned last week, I had to frog this halfway through and um, redo it. But I love that color, that yarn. So it's La Bien-Aimé. And so it's the mini mock neck tank. It's my second one. I was like, I loved the first one so much that I wanted to make another one um, in a lighter color. And I should have it done by next week. So the other thing that I'm working on is Le Bandana, which is Amy's bandana pattern Mm -hmm. in a yarn that she gifted me when she came to visit in Seattle. And I can't say what the yarn is or show it to you yet, but it's so good. Oh, I saw those pictures of you guys hanging out. I was like, oh, that's so sweet. Oh, Oh, we love it. We love Amy. She's so wonderful. Um, And yeah, I'm excited to be able to show you the yarn. And I'm excited for people to be able to buy it and touch it because that is the best part. (laughs) 
Well, as we do with every episode, let's end with a moment of gratitude. What are you grateful for? I think I'm really grateful for therapy. And I say that because I I did have a little bit of a health scare this week. And I think I was able to get through it without hyperventilating and spiraling because of therapy. And I've also been able to feel more alive these past two years than I've ever felt in my whole 33 years of living. And I've seen the same therapist since 2019. And so it's been four years, but it hasn't been, it's only been these past two years where I felt like all that work has come to something. I had like a major breakthrough in 2020, the end of 2021, which is actually when I joined the making app, I realized. Um, I mean, I'm not going to say it's connected, but I love that that's the journey. (laughs) It's, It's whatever the path takes us down, but it's, it's been a lot of self-work these past four years, and it's it's been the most work that I've ever done for myself. And the fact of that I'm putting myself first has been one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Very eye-opening. Um, didn't think my entire life that I wasn't putting myself first until I was in therapy, yeah. realizing that I've been people pleasing pretty much my whole life and in in a lot of different aspects and just caring for myself. It's, it's so wild to me to say that because it's like, what do you mean you didn't care about yourself? Like, I don't, you know, (laughs) but therapy has made me realize that I've, I've, um, I've been uh, missing out on myself. So I'm very grateful for therapy, very grateful and I hope one day that this country will realize that it is needed in our healthcare. Everyone, make sure your mental health is good too, as well as your physical health. Yes. As what did Mar- Marshawn Lynch once said, check your mentals. That's, <laughs> I think it was that. I don't know, something close. I love this because that is so close to what my response is going to be. Oh my God. Yay. <laughs> So this is just confirmation that everyone, if you are not in therapy, please change that because I like I was holding back tears as you were talking because I think that especially as, you know, women or female presenting people in this world, like we've been taught a, a certain way to be right. Like the people pleasing for sure. Things are passed down from generation to generation. And even if it's not meant in a malicious way, we've been taught to, you know, put people first, to shrink ourselves in many different ways. Physically, we shouldn't be loud. We should be quiet and in the corner and like all of this bullshit, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of women specifically are finding that they don't have to do that stuff. Like, this is just what we've been taught. This is like shit that we have to like get through, right? Like we can just be ourselves and we don't have to put people first constantly because putting ourselves first, we're better as people in all aspects of life, in our own relationships and whether that's friendships or romantic or work relationships. And Oh, I could just talk about it for forever. 
it's so beautiful. I'm so glad yeah. that you've come to that point because everybody deserves to to get there. And I'm, I agree. you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of unpacking. And oh yes, so much. Yeah, very. Oh my gosh, so much. <laughs> Didn't realize how much, but so much. <laughs> yeah, like just there's a lot of shit real far down. <laughs> but I have been working with an ADHD coach, which is very like has therapy like aspects to it. Mm -hmm. Um, obviously because ADHD is mental health related. So I was recently diagnosed last last year, the year before. Not that long ago. <laughs> I feel validated. I feel um, empowered. I feel mm -hmm. like it, it's, but it's opening all of that stuff, right? Like mm -hmm. how many things I've realized were, you know, coping mechanisms that I mm -hmm. put into place because of my symptoms right. and had zero clue. And it's just like unpacking that has been wild. But my ADHD coach is amazing. Heather, I love you, Heather. It has been very life-changing. And just to know that, you know, there are things that it's like, sure, I can have a tool in place for some of these things with my ADHD symptoms. But this is just how my brain is, you know? And it's There's like... nothing wrong with you. Right. Oh my so God. many people have tell, told anyone who has something going on that there's something wrong with them rather than just saying move through it understand it and and just be yourself if it's ADHD if it's it's anxiety depression whatever it is it's it's someone telling us that there's something wrong with us rather than hey let me help you <laughs> it's wild yeah. Yeah, I know. And then when you switch that and you have somebody helping you, you're like, wow, this is it's amazing. This is amazing. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that's um that's the end of our therapy session with Jen and Tina. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. Oh my goodness. I'm so glad that you came here and that we had this chat and it's always so good like seeing you in the feed and having having a good conversation with you because I know we've done this before in other ways so I'm glad that we could bring it to the podcast too yeah so where can everybody find you in all of the places you can find me on the making app at tina.say.nits same handle on Instagram and you can find me on my website tina tsenits.com um, for all my hand knitting pattern stuff awesome Thank you so much. And keep an eye out for the new design that's going to drop at some point in the next few months. Yes. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Bye. To join the very first social marketplace app made for makers, crafters, and artists by makers, crafters, and artists, head to themakingapp.com. Download the app and join the amazing multi-craftual community. You won't regret it. Just so much inspiration and so many wonderful, wonderful humans. Did you know that you can also listen to the Making Conversation podcast in the Making app? Open the app, tap on Discover, and scroll down to Podcasts. From there, you'll see all of them listed. We've also started putting um, these up on YouTube if you haven't noticed. Uh, we'll see how that goes. We'll see how that goes. I am, I am a one-woman one show. 
if you're listening, there's a link down below to the episode on YouTube. And if you're watching on YouTube, there is a link to listen. So choose your own adventure. If you've made it this far and you're interested in sponsoring Making Conversation or having making at an event to collect content, amazing maker stories, vendor stories, etc., send us a note at hq at makingco.com. We would so very much appreciate it if you were to share the podcast with your crafting community, whether that's online or offline. Um, You know, having more eyes and ears always feels real good. So thanks for watching and or listening, and we'll see you in the making app.